Well, I want to encourage you as we enter now into our time of opening the Bible to let's return to the book of Galatians. And for me, the most challenging section of Scripture in all of Galatians. One of the benefits of taking a book of the Bible and preaching it verse by verse is the pastor can't dodge the hard passages. And so you get to see him sweat and squirm a little bit today. As I think of each time that I've read through Galatians, I've always gotten to the second half of Galatians chapter 4 and thought, what does all this mean? Well, this morning, hopefully, that will become more clear for you as we work through this. As we read, beginning in verse 12 of Galatians chapter 4, through the end, and even on to chapter 5, verse 1, what I want you to listen for is some of the circumstances that led up to Paul going to this area called Galatia. And then I want you to hear some of the history of the families that were actually tied into in the Old Testament. So would you look on with me as we look at Galatians chapter 4, beginning in verse 12. Brothers, I entreat you, because become as I am, for I also have become as you are. You did me no wrong. You know it was because of a body ailment that I preached the gospel to you at first. And though my condition was a trial to you, you did not scorn or despise me, but received me as an angel of God, as Christ Jesus. What then has become of your blessedness? For I testify to you that, if possible, you would have gouged out your eyes and given them to me. Have I then become your enemy by telling you the truth? They make much of you, but for no good purpose. They want to shut you out, that you may make much of them. It is always good to be made much of for a good purpose, and not only when I am present with you, my little children, for whom I am again in the anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. I wish I could be present with you now and change my tone, flexed by you, about you rather. Verse 21. Tell me, you who desire to be under the law, do not listen to the law. For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by a slave woman and one by a free woman. The son of the slave was born according to the flesh, while the son of the free woman was born through promise. Now this may be interpreted allegorically. These women are two covenants. One is from Mount Sinai, bearing children from slavery. She is Hagar. Now, Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia. She corresponds to the present Jerusalem, for she is in slavery with her children. But the Jerusalem above is free, and she is our mother. For it is written, Rejoice, O barren one who does not bear. Break forth and cry aloud, you who are not in labor. For the children of the desolate one will be more than those of the one who has a husband. Now you, brothers, like Isaac, are children of promise. But just at that time, he who was born according to the flesh persecuted him who was born according to the Spirit. So also it is of now. 
But what does the scripture say? Cast out the slave woman and her son. For the son of the slave woman shall not inherit with the son of the free woman. So, brothers, we are not children of the slave, but of the free woman. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Father, as we have read through this book of Galatians, we are seeing this continual note being played. That if we really want to be right with you, it is not by our works. It's not by striving. It's not even by keeping the law. But it's through what you have done by sending Christ to die in our place. Being raised to life three days later. So I pray that you would use a passage again, another Another word picture of that again to make it very clear to us not only of how we can be forgiven of our sins but then how we are to live still dependent on your grace. Would you help us with this today? In Jesus' name, amen. Several years ago, I was a little boy and I was in my father's home and I remember seeing on the coffee table a little book that I couldn't ever remember seeing before. It was almost like a yearbook, but a yearbook has a whole bunch of little portraits. This had like one family picture after another, and they're all in the black and white. And as I began to thumb through this book, I learned something, that this was actually a book about a family. But it wasn't just a family. It was the Hurtler family. That's my last name. And that was alarming to me because through my whole life, I had only known hurtlers in my immediate family. But as I thumbed through this from the previous century, I realized that there was a huge family that I was a part of. And my little world suddenly got bigger as I realized I was intertwined with so many other generations. Earlier this past week, I was meeting with a family for a funeral of Richard. And when the the nephew and his wife visited me, and, and I was just gathering information to do a, a funeral a little bit later in the week. They shared with me that when they visited Richard's place, that they saw a wealth of family information, of family photos. And they said to me, we had no idea that Richard had all of this stuff. And, and now we learn so much more about our family. We've seen so many more photos, and these are truly a treasure to us. This morning, as we work through the second half of Galatians 4, I think what you're going to find is that you're not alone. Rather, you have a spiritual heritage that spans thousands of years before you. What I'd like to do today is just go in order as we look at this passage. And there's really two different headings I want to provide. The first is the heart of a leader. And then as we work through this passage, we'll get to the heart of the leader's message. Let's look at the heart of a leader beginning in verse 12. Brothers, this is what Paul says, I entreat you because... As I am. There's three different phrases that I have for you under this this heading of the heart of a leader. The first is, become 
as I am. What Paul is saying to the people there in this church is, I'm not taking you to a place that I myself have not been. He said to them that I am not depending on the law to have a right standing with God, and nor should you. He said earlier in this, Galatians 2, verse 19, through the law, I died to the law so that I might live to God. There was a time in my life, he could say to these Christians in this church, that I was attempting to obey the law in order to gain forgiveness with God. But I died to that. Now what I do is I, by faith, trust in what Jesus has done for me on the cross. He said in another place, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. As we think about a leader, maybe you are a leader in your marriage. Maybe you're a leader in your parenting. Maybe you've been called to some leadership within a ministry of a church, a small group, or a Bible study. One truth that we see here in Paul's example is that in order to be an authentic leader, you have to be practicing what you preach. And this is exactly what Paul sets before us in the first half of verse 12. Here's a second phrase that we see of the heart of a leader. Not only become as I am, but I have become as you are. Look what it says in verse 12. For I also have become as you are. What we see here is Paul being very flexible and culturally sensitive. When he went into Galatia, he was not familiar with the culture there. And instead of imposing his on the people there in Galatia, what he did is he took some time to learn the customs. I suspect he learned how they dressed with one another and ate with one another. And if they wore blue jeans, he would have wore blue jeans. If if they wore cowboy hats, he would have wore a cowboy hat. And if they ate tacos, he would have ate tacos. The point is, he was tuned in and sensitive to how the Galatians were. He said, I became as you are. You'll notice in verse 13, the circumstances that surrounded Paul's arrival in this area of Galatia. He says, you know it was because of a body ailment that I preached the gospel to you at first. In other words, traveling to Galatia was not on his travel itinerary. There was an interruption that came. Evidently, he was on his way somewhere else, and he got sick. And according to verse 13, and though, verse 14, and though my condition was a trial to you, you did not scorn or despise me but received me as an angel of God, as Christ Jesus. And here's the point, that evidently he was so sick that the people there needed to serve him and take care of him. He was a burden to them, but they didn't see him as a, a burden. Now, some Bible teachers have, have tried to guess, what was it? How did he get sick? And what exactly did he have? Was this Part of that thorn of the flesh that we read in 2 Corinthians certainly could be. The geography on his way to Galatia would have taken him through some swamplands. And it's possible that there would have been some mosquitoes 
that would have given him malaria. And this could have affected his eyesight as well. Because he says there in verse 15, What then has become of your blessedness? For I testify to you that, if possible, you would have gouged out your eyes and given them to me. In other words, my eyes weren't working very good, but you would have given your eyes to me. And this is initially how it went for him. You see, initially he was very flexible. Evidently he was on his way to a certain land to share the gospel, but he got sick and he thought, well, I might as well just, I might as well just share the gospel here. That's a good example for us, isn't it? It could be that you have in your mind a desire to go and share the gospel with something else, someone else, and, and then something happens, an interruption takes place. And you're like, well, I might as well share the gospel with this person. A couple of summers ago, our family was heading out west to a conference. And as we were driving through Utah, I think it was, if you've been through there, it is so beautiful, so magnificent. And I got to a point, I was like, if there's ever a pull-off, we need to just pause and we need to look over this horizon and maybe hike a little bit. And sure enough, there was a, a lookout where we could pull over. And as we pulled over, there was a few Native Americans that were selling jewelry. And my wife says, I believe that the Lord would have me to go and not only look at jewelry... but to share the gospel with these ladies. And so said, why don't you go and you take the boys and you go for a hike? Because I think this is what the Lord would have me to do. And there she was over there sharing the gospel with these ladies. I remember a few years ago we were in Texas. And as any good family would do, you, you find a donut shop in that town, right? And so we went there to the donut shop. And as a church on a Sunday morning, we were learning about how to share the gospel. And one of our boys I said, why don't you go and share the gospel with this guy? And he did. And he got a couple of free donuts out of that. <laughs> There's been times in our church where we've, we've encouraged you to hand out gospel tracts. I can remember a time when uh, I had done that, and a day or two later we were uh, together with one of my little boys, and we were going through a drive through and one of the little boys said, hey, Dad, don't, don't forget to give him one of these. And I said, oh, Come on now, that's just preacher talk. You know, I don't, I don't really do that stuff. I just tell the church to do that. Uh, and then he put it in my hand and, okay, I will do that. This isn't what I had planned. But yeah, exactly. We should, we should share the gospel with people that we hadn't had planned with. So the first thing we see in the heart of a leader is that he became, he's encouraging them to become as I am. Second thing we see is I have become as you are. He said to the weak, I become weak that I might win some, and I become all things to all people that by all means I might save some, 1 Corinthians 9, verse 22. Then, what we see in verse 17 is a reference to the false teachers. Verse 17, they make much of you, but for no good purpose. They want to shut you out that you may make much of them. Much of this letter to the Galatians is about these false teachers. And these false teachers have come and confused these baby Christians. And Paul is getting to their motives. The reason they are making much of you, the reason they are flattering you, is so that you will make much of them. 
They have no desire at all for sound doctrine. They are not concerned at all for your soul. They are only concerned that you would think much of them. Compare that with verses 18, 19, and 20. It is always good to be made much of for a good purpose. And not only when I am present with you, my little children, for whom I am again in the anguish of childbirth unto Christ is formed in you. What he is saying is that as he's observed these new Christians veer away from sound faith, it's as if he is experiencing the pain that a mother would experience when she gives birth. This is excruciating for me to watch you wander into some false teachings. And then here's the third thing I see here in leadership, is there's a very clear goal that Paul has. Do you see it there in verse 19? Until Christ is formed in you. The goal that Paul has for the people in the church, and I would say, moms and dads, the goal that we ought to have for our children, grandparents, for our grandchildren, those of you who are leading a Bible study or a small group or some sort of ministry, this is a wonderful goal that God, through Paul's writing, has given to us. The objective is that Christ might be formed in our family, in, in the people within our Bible study, within our small group. But what does that mean? That means they're no longer dependent on their own strength, their own works. But their goal is to be more Christ-like. And they respond to life's troubles, life's circumstances, and life's celebrations in the way that Christ would. That the greatest priority of their life is their relationship with the Father. It was John Stott who said, The church needs people who, in listening to their pastor, listen for the message of Christ. And pastors who, in laboring among the people, look for the image of Christ. So here's the priority before us. Those in your circle, are they becoming more and more like Jesus? If so, take time to celebrate that. So there's the heart of the leader. Now let's look at the second part of the passage now. It's the heart of a leader's message. Look at verse 21. Tell me, you who desire to be under the law, do you not listen to the law? He is speaking to these new Christians that were saved by faith alone and then have immediately went back under the law by trying to gain God's approval by obeying the Scriptures. This week I heard of a true story of a man that was just let out of prison in Pittsburgh. And the first thing he did, or one of the first things he did, is he went into a jewelry store and he tried to steal some jewelry. Immediately he got caught. And when the police went up to him and says, what were you doing? What were you thinking? The thief actually said, I was hoping to get caught because I don't know how to live in freedom. When I'm in jail, I've got a roof over my head and I've got three meals and my day is completely structured. I am comfortable living like that. But I have no idea how to live in all this freedom. Imagine someone being set free and then immediately going back into jail. And this is what Paul is saying of these Galatians. That's what you're doing. You've been set free. 
You, you've been liberated that you can enjoy your relationship with the Father and you've exchanged that relationship to go right back to rules. So he's going to give him some history. Let's look at verses 22 and 23. For it is written that Abraham, Abraham had two sons, one by a slave woman and one by a free woman. But the son of the slave was born accordingly to the flesh, while the son of the free woman was born through promise. Earlier I had mentioned that you're going to learn a little bit more about your heritage and about your ancestry, so let me just insert this now. We're going to go do some history of the Old Testament as we introduce or reintroduce Abraham to you. When Abraham was around 75, his wife was 65, Sarah, and God came to Abraham and says, I'm going to give you Canaan, a promised land, and I'm going to give you this promise that there'll become a day that you will have so many descendants that'll be like the, the sand on a seashore. Well, 10 years passed, and now Abraham is 85, and his wife has never had a child. So Sarah has a plan, a man-made plan. And she says, according to our custom, you could, you could get in with my, my slave, Hagar. You could marry her, and you could get her pregnant, And according to our custom, that child would actually be mine. So Abraham says, all right, well, well, we can do that. And they have a son. Abraham and the slave, Hagar, have a son, and they name that son Ishmael. Well, that creates all sorts of rivalry within the home. I mean, one wife is hard enough. He's got two wives. Now, I didn't. I've heard someone say that. I, 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 he's got two wives, and now that's only multiplied his problems. So at one time, she says, why don't, you, why don't you send that slave woman off? Well, eventually she comes back. And now speeding ahead, and now Abraham is 99 years old, and guess what? God visits again. And when he visits again, he says, this time next year, you will have a son through Sarah because that was where the promise was always intended through Sarah. So when he is a hundred years old, Sarah ninety years old, they have a son, and his name is Isaac. But there's that rivalry within the home. Ishmael's about fourteen. Isaac is a baby when when um, Isaac is being weaned. They're having this celebration as a family. And that 14-year-old Ishmael, the Bible says, actually mocks or makes fun of the little baby, Isaac. And that's enough. At that point, Sarah, Abraham, they kick out Hagar and this little boy Ishmael out of the home. And the promise, the family line will go through Sarah and Isaac. So the question this morning is not so much, are your father Abraham? The question is so much, who's your mother? Is it either Hagar or is it Sarah? Look at verse 24. Now this may be interpreted allegorically. Now what does allegorically mean? All it means is telling a story that has symbols. So what? Paul is going to do is use that story that actually took place of Abraham and 
Hagar and Ishmael, and Sarah and Isaac, and he's going to add some truths to it. Now let me just say to you, as you read the Bible, we ought not to default to allegory. We ought to just read the Bible plainly, literally, unless the Bible tells us to do otherwise. And this is one of those cases where Paul gives us permission and he's going to explain to us what each of these people mean. So now let's consider the the heart of the leader's message, the explanation of this allegory in verses 24, 25, and 26. Now this may be interpreted allegorically. These women are two covenants. One is from Mount Sinai, bearing children from slavery. She is Hagar. Now, Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia. She corresponds to the present Jerusalem, for she is in slavery with her children. But the Jerusalem above is free, and she is our mother. What we see here is two different ways to live. The first way to live is self Reliant. So over here, if you're making a column, you could, you could label it by self-reliant. Hagar represents people who try to do things in their own strength. Abraham and Sarah said to themselves, you know what, this is taking too long. This promise that God has given to us that we would have this land and this great nation has not happened yet, so let us help God along by devising our own plan. You see the words Mount Sinai in verse 24. Over here under self-reliance is this mountain called Mount Sinai. And there's a significance to that mountain. That is where Moses received the Ten Commandments. So on this column we might say works or law or as we read slavery. Because as men and women have tried to make their way to God and they work through the commandments and the law, they are not able to do that. And so all they find themselves doing is being enslaved to that. But then we also read something else here. In verse 25, Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia, and she corresponds to the present Jerusalem. What in the world is that talking about? Now, as we look at Jerusalem, certainly we can be referring to the city structure of buildings and streets and sidewalks, but I don't think that's what he's referring to here. Rather, it's the people. It's it's the Jews that are trying to gain God's favor by keeping the law. They are upholding this system of works, and that's all under self reliance. And they're enslaved. And they are not forgiven. And they stand under God's judgment. Now what Paul is doing here is something that would have infuriated the original hearer. Because they always thought that they were under the line of Sarah and Isaac. But what Paul is saying is, spiritually speaking, you're not. You're under Hagar and Ishmael. This works-based theology. So then he compares that list 
with another list over here, not of Hagar and Ishmael, but of Rebekah, rather Sarah and Isaac. And what we see there is a miracle. They are unable to have a child because of their old age. It's as if God waits to Abraham as a hundred, Sarah is ninety, and there is not one possibility that either of them could take one shred of credit for having a child. And in the same way, as we look at this picture, those of you who are a follower of Christ today, you cannot take one shred of credit for you being a follower of Jesus. It is entirely the work of God. So there is the self-reliant, and then there is the God-reliant. There is this promise. We sang this morning that we are children of the promise. In the same way that Abraham believed God's promise, we are to believe in this promise that through Christ we might have forgiveness of sins. On the self-reliant side, there is Mount Sinai, but on the God-reliant side, there is Mount Calvary, in which Jesus would die on the cross for us and offer to us the forgiveness of sins. And over here, on the self-reliant side, there is slavery, but on the God-reliant side, there is freedom. One cannot obey in order to be acceptable to God, but once one is free and washed clean, then they can enjoy this relationship with God. And then do you see it here again in verse 26? But the Jerusalem above is free. There is this Jerusalem over here on the self-reliant side of which one is trying to uphold this works law theology. But over here, the one of grace, the one of the spirit born, the one of the promise is one that leads to a Jerusalem above, the city of heaven. So there are these two ways that we can live. Paul is laying out for these Galatian Christians, you don't want to be descendants of Hagar and Ishmael. You want to be descendants of Sarah and Isaac. It's an amazing thought, isn't it? Of all the mothers in the Old Testament, there's probably three that are most prominent. There is Sarah, there is Rebecca, and there is Rachel. And these three mothers all have something in common. They were barren. And yet God takes a woman like that and He works a miracle. And that's the whole point of salvation. That we were barren of good works and our only hope is for God to work in us. Salvation. So then there is this hard passage here. We find it in verse 27 where Paul is actually going to quote from Isaiah 54, verse 1. He says, Rejoice! O barren one who does not bear, break forth and cry aloud, you who are not in labor. For the children of the desolate one will be more than those of the one who has a husband. Now, the book of Isaiah 
is written at a time when God's people are being disciplined because of their defiance. God has allowed the Babylonians to come and exile them, to take them out of Jerusalem. And in that prophecy, God speaks through Isaiah and says to the women that are barren, I got good news for you. One day you're going to have a child. In fact, those of you who are barren are going to have more children than the ones who have husbands. But here, he applies it to Sarah. What is he saying here? Here's a wonderful thought. Listen to this. He is saying to this woman who was barren for 90 years that there is a promise to you that you will have children born to you for thousands of years. And every time that a person believes in the Lord Jesus to be saved and repents of their sins, Sarah, it's as if you're having another child. You see, loved ones, as we think about the family, we come from a great heritage. It's not just you alone. It's not just Highland Crest. It's not just Green Bay. But our heritage extends way back, even to Sarah and even to Isaac. Now, let's just conclude here because I think we got some application. Paul is going to leave us with three different applications in verses 28 through chapter 5, verse 1. Now, you brothers like Isaac are children of promise. Here's the first application, verse 29. But just as at that time he was born according to the flesh, persecuted him who was born according to the Spirit, so also it is now. So what is he saying? He's bringing us back to that little ceremony when Isaac was being weaned. And there is Ishmael making fun of his half-brother. And he is saying, see, he persecuted back then. That persecution is still taking place today. And I would remind you that as you read through the book of Acts, as this message of faith alone, this gospel message is going forward. and Paul is proclaiming it. Where does he go? He goes to the synagogue. And as he proclaims this message, who is it that is against this message? It's the Jews. In fact, do you want to review Acts 13 and Acts 14? That's where the churches of Galatia were established. What takes place? They proclaim this message by faith alone. In one city after another, they chase him out. And that's exactly what he is speaking to here. You preach this message of faith alone. The ancestors of Hagar and Ishmael will chase you. They will persecute you. And this still takes place today. I won't take a lot of time here, but the last time we went to synagogue in January, we went and proclaimed this message on this island of Neamun. And while we were there, that's a, 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 an island that has a large, I'll just call it, a Catholic church there, where there's a, a strong emphasis on, on, on relying on infant baptism and, and being confirmed as a young boy or a young girl. And after preaching this message by faith alone for a while, Near the end of our stay, some of the men said, hey, could we visit with you? Sure. And there was a a large gathering there. And we said, 
we understand you are preaching a message, and, and we understand some of that message, but um, it, it, we're not really friendly to what you're sharing with us right now. So we're going to just ask you kindly to, to be respectful of us. And Well, we've come to just preach this message of how you can be forgiven of your sins through faith alone. So there is still that that exists today. And the reason we haven't gone to Senegal recently is because of some of the political climate there. There's an election coming up, and hopefully by January or February, once that presidential election is done, then there'll be some more, it'll be a better time for us to go back. And that's one of the reasons we haven't returned in the last year. So there's persecution is coming. That's one of the applications. The second thing is an inheritance is coming. Look at verse 30. But what does the scripture say? Cast out the slave woman and her son, for the son of the slave woman shall not inherit the son of the free woman. Whereas over here, Hagar and Ishmael are not a part of the inheritance. Over here, Sarah and Isaac are a part of the inheritance. So those who are a part of this grace, this part of this miraculous salvation, can enjoy a relationship with the Father can obey their father out of love, can receive the riches from their father of grace and wisdom, can have this assurance of being provided for by their father. And then the third application is that we are to stand firm in this freedom. Look again at chapter 5, verse 1. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. You don't want to go back to this, the self-reliant life. Now that you've begun this God-reliant life, continue it through the rest of your days. I was thinking about this, that I'm just, I'm probably not alone here, that as I grew up, there was something within me, it was like the air that I breathed, that I thought, I needed to earn my father's approval. So if that was with school, if that was with sports, if that was with eventually getting a job and getting a car and, and trying to get a house, there was something within me that thought, I've got to work really hard to earn my earthly father's approval. And I can remember him one day, and I was in my college years, very wisely, just pulling me aside and just saying, you know, I want you to know this, that I love you just as you are. And there's something with a young man that says you need to earn your father's approval, but Chad, I'm going to let you know that you do not need to earn my approval. I accept you as you were and as you are. And there was something that just kind of washed over me there, that my earthly father was, was receiving me with all my flaws and all my awards. And I think that's a real gift, moms and dads, to be able to give your children if you haven't already. But you know what my dad was really doing? Is he was modeling for me the love of the heavenly father. That by grace, I've made, I've made provision for you by sending my son to die on the cross for you. 
You've received that gift. Now as you are living out this, this life of promise, I just want you to know that you don't have to work for my love. You don't have to work for my approval or my acceptance. In fact, out of that love, out of that approval, out of that acceptance, live. Live this life. And this is what we are supposed to stand on. Position. A priority of our relationship. Being empowered by the Spirit of God as enabled and and informed by the Word of God. So there it is, this passage. That holds up to us the heart of the leader, but also the leader's message of saying, which one are you? Are you self-reliant or are you God-reliant? And I want to ask you to consider to turn from yourself unto God. Would you pray with me as our music team comes? Father, there's, a, there's certainly a mouthful here from uh, seeing the events that led up to Paul coming to Galatia, to this uh, challenging story and allegory, to an application that says if you, if you want to follow this God-reliant life, get ready because there will be resistance and persecution. But there's also an inheritance And we are encouraged to stand on this life that we've been accepted, redeemed, approved by what Jesus has done and the grace that has been given to us. We've been reminded today that we're not alone, but we are a part of a heritage that extends thousands of years before this moment. We want to say thank you. We have an appreciation that we are tied to Abraham to Sarah and to Isaac, that you can take what seems like hopeless situations and do the impossible, bring life, bring salvation, bring forgiveness of sins. Lord, I want to pray for my friends here today as this word has gone out I pray that's been clear and now for people to examine where am I? Am I relying on my own flesh, my own strength? So many others are. Or have they they come to a place of emptying it out and saying I'm 100% trusting in what Christ has done for me and believing in that alone. Friend, if that's you today. I just want to encourage you to place all of your trust in what Jesus has done. We celebrate new life. We celebrate that you are still drawing people to yourself. That there are still people being born into the family. We thank you for this. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's we stand now and let's sing a, a song of worship about beholding God in this wonderful story that we are a part of.